Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 332, recorded Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Brian Arkin. And this episode is brought to you by InfluxDB from InfluxData. We will tell you more about them later. Connect with us over on Mastodon at, we're all on Fossadon at MKMNity, at Brian Aachen, and at Python Bytes. And if you want to be part of the live show, pythonbytes.fm slash live, crush that bell, and you'll get notified when we go live. Usually Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific time like it is now. Uh, well, just a reminder that I think it's really important for people to subscribe because sometimes it's not at uh, Tuesday at 11. Usually, yes. but sometimes it's not. So get notified. Uh, first, I want to talk about, I don't know, H-U-A-K. Uh, it's a project. I think it's Wack. 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 I would have guessed Wack. Yeah. Wack. Um, or Wack. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was suggested to us by Owen uh, on Mastodon. So thank you, Owen. And I gave a look at this. So this what Wack is a um, it's a Python package manager written in Rust. So uh, we've got a lot of lot of tools uh, in Python now getting written in Rust, and I think it's cool. I mean, why not? Uh, so anyway, it's uh, inspired by Cargo, and I actually, so my first I, I've tried this twice so far, and um, my first uh, take on it was um, was not as was sort of lukewarm, but I tried it again today, and there's some really cool stuff here. So I want to like highlight a few things. Um, the uh, the there's some decent documentation, but it's just a, it's just the early stages of the project. Uh, I, I don't know how old it is, but they have a disclaimer that it's in an experimental state. But I think there's a bunch of it that's already quite usable. Uh, you can it's just a pip install, but it installs the Rust tools and stuff with it. And you can create a new project and knit a project. And that's where like the uh, people are picky about what goes in your project Toml. So, or pi project Toml. And I, I am picky also. So it isn't, the init isn't quite exactly what I would want, but it's pretty good. Uh, so it's a, it's a decent mix where it's initializing, but there's so much more you can do. So if I go to the, let's go to the main documentation. These Wait, are all the workflows. I just want to comment on something right there. Notice okay. the... Quack distinguishes between library and application-like projects. Projects default to library type, but you can pass a dash dash app flag. And I think that, oh. that is pretty excellent because so so many of these tools, they either have a, a tendency for, you know, like pip env seems to have a tendency for apps, where some of the others have tendencies for libraries. And oh, yeah. you don't really want to say, well, my tool can only be used for building libraries, but not apps, right? Like pinning specific versions versus greater than type of versions and that that kind of stuff in your file. So I think that that's a cool aspect they've considered here. It is. And I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to know what what that what that affects, yeah. um, what, what it affects downstream. So we'll have to play with that. There's even, so apparently there's a no VCS uh, flag so that you can generate uh, projects without Git, um, which is cool. But the assumption is it's going to be Git, and the assumption is it's a well, right? Assumption is a library, but it can can do applications too. Nice. Um, so the uh, yeah, there's so things like once you have it initialized, there's other stuff that I didn't even think that a workflow tool would be good for. Um, but this is pretty cool, like uh, adding a dependency. I know po poetry does this sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Where you can say, you know, you know, add some dependency and it adds it to your PyProject Toml. This does that, but it's it's 
nice that it's uh i don't know it's just sort of the workflow seems nicer to me um you can uh, uh activate a virtual environment even if you didn't create it with this tool um which is pretty nice um you can use uh i'm going to go through the list the list is pretty big uh you can add a dependency. You can build your project, and it. I tried the build, and it it builds it. It like creates a new virtual environment and builds it in a fresh virtual environment. So that's a really clean way. It's like building with talks almost. Um, it's a real clean way to build. It's kind of cool. Um, uh, completion generating a shell completion. I'm not sure I need that, but oh well. Uh, cleaning everything when you're working with projects. Sometimes you you just have tons of stuff around. So a clean option is pretty nice. Um, linting and fixing, linting and fixing lints. And so I tried this. I like, I'm like, okay, I have this new project. Tried linting. And at first, one of the things that did it, it installed uh, rough uh, right off the bat and then ran it, <laughs> which is cool. Um, oh, the other th the thing I thought was pretty neat when I added something. So I added PyTest to a project and that added PyTest to the dependency list, but it also installed it in my virtual environment. It's like, so it figures you, you don't have it yet. Let's install it. So there's a whole bunch of these things like uh, publishing. Um, so it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a poetry like thing. But if poetry doesn't really float your boat, maybe this does. Um, most of this works for me. And to, actually, to be honest, the stuff I've worked so, with so far, I think this is as this is as close as uh, as reading my mind as any uh, workflow tool has gotten so far. So this is pretty cool. Pretty close to what I was thinking about as a cool thing. That Even cool. lists Python versions. So if you say uh, uh, Huac, uh, um, I got to understand the name because my brain, even if I don't talk about it, my brain needs to know what to call it. Um, and uh, so if you say Py Python list, it'll list all the Python versions on your on your machine that it can find. So it's kind of cool. Anyway. Yeah, cool. It also has update to update the project's dependencies, which is pretty neat. Which probably updates yes. the pin pin numbers and stuff, like kind of like pip tools, pip pip dash compile. Yeah, I tried update first and it said you don't have any dependencies yet. So I'm like, okay, well I'll add some dependencies. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, nice, pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I, I can get behind checking this out. This looks pretty neat, and it's kind of a theme. It's going to be a bit of a theme on this show with what I got coming up as well. Although we didn't okay. coordinate this, it's it is um, pamphlet out there by the way. Just has a bit of nightmares about preforce when here's no get that could also go for source safe or any of these other types of systems that like lock a file <laughs> you know the centralized version control someone locks a file because they're editing it then they go on vacation that's always a good time yeah yeah the the uh, the no get part is um uh, i it's important to me for somebody trying stuff out because if i'm just trying a bunch of stuff out playing with a project um uh, sometimes I want to see how the whole build and the whole workflow works without actually setting up a Git repo. Yeah. So I'm cool with it. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, we're not going to start with more packaging. Let's start with law. And I suppose, as usual, we should say we're not lawyers. Don't take our advice, but uh, certainly not mine. But I'll, I'll tell you, there's a blog post written by the PSF over on pyfound.blogspot.com. It still kind of blows my mind that PSF doesn't have its own domain for blog posts. But anyway, the EU proposes proposed CRA law may have unintended consequences for the Python ecosystem. So we've talked about this before, um, just bringing awareness to what that law, the Cyber Resilience Act, basically holding companies liable for shipping bugs and vulnerabilities in their code in Europe has for the open source ecosystem. And so the PSF has come out 
with a strong statement of this is broken. If you don't fix it, bad, bad things are going to happen. I'll, I'll jump ahead just a little bit before we go along. It says, let's see if I can find the, the phrase here. This, as written, would make it impossible in practice for the PSF to continue to provide Python and the PyPI ecosystem to the European public. Sound bad? That sounds, bad. Yeah. that sounds kind of bad to me. Like, hey, Europe, how about we just cut Python off? Ironically, dear Python, you were invented there, but too bad because you hate it. So let's go through what the PSF says. I've already uh, highlighted this, some of these issues. I think maybe even Pemfo was the one that sent this over. I can't remember exactly who sent it over in the beginning, but... So their blog post starts out and says, the PSF has found issues that put the mission of their organization and the health of the open source software community at risk through the Cyber Resilience Act, CRA. It says, if the proposed law is enforced as it's currently written, the authors of open source components might bear legal and financial responsibility for the way their components are applied in someone else's commercial project. So let me give you something really simple, Brian, that just came to mind. Suppose I write the most awesome SQL library ever, ever. So here's what you can do. It takes, it takes a connection string and it connects to the database, okay? And then you can issue SQL commands to that database. And I've got all the security patched. I've got, I made sure that there's no like SSL vulnerabilities in its underlying communication. Somebody goes and writes that and they write the query select star from users where username equals quote plus inputted username, right? Yeah. That would be a SQL injection vulnerability just waiting to happen. Is it yeah. my fault they they concatenated user input and then passed that as trusted commands to their database? No, I can, there's no way I could have known that. And yet, I, as the writer of this awesome, it's called MK SQL, whatever, library, I'm now on the hook, companies that or and individuals who were uh, had their data exposed can now sue me directly for providing MKSQL to the world. That's what this law says. No. Yeah. Mm. And that's and and so it says the existing language makes no differentiation between independent authors who have never been paid for the supply of software and corporate tech behemoths selling products in exchange for payment to end users. We, the PSF, believe that increased liability should be carefully assigned to the entity that has entered into a commercial agreement with the customer, not the open source people who built the software, right? So that is... <laughs> I, I, like, I, I'm going to go, this is terrible. So somebody goes off and like at, looking at a new tool and they see a typo or something and do a fix or, or even just like, you know, actually help out for a while and then move yeah. on. They're yeah. still going to be liable forever? Like, yeah. this doesn't make yes, sense. that's exactly what it says. So Brandon uh, has the same thought that I had actually out there. So I see a new open source license coming saying that this can be used anywhere but the EU. Yeah. I mean, I have 250 GitHub repos. Many of them are private. Some of them are public. Good chunk of them are public. And I have a couple of things on PyPI. They're all minor, nothing, you know, notable or anything. But they are being used. If, if this goes into effect, there's a... A reasonable expectation that I just go, you know what? Those small libraries, it's not even worth having them. They're just, I'm yanking them from PyPI. I haven't come it, to that decision, but like, why would you want to risk it? Yeah, it's a, this is. Yeah. So here, I'll, that's I'll, why we put like this, this software provided as is with no yes. warranties. Um, yeah. And I was actually wondering about that as well. And it just kind of goes back to what Brandon said and what you just said. 
is doesn't the license that's a, that's also a legal agreement, right? And so when the CRA clashes with the Mozilla open source license, for example, or MIT license or whatever that says kind of what you said, who wins? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it says the PSF does not sell software. We provide, uh, but we provide a public square for developers to download code, talk about code, and host components so that other entities may include it in their software. And so specifically, people may be wondering like, well, okay, it's all vague. They call out two activities that could be affected by the CRA. It says, we host and provide the core Python programming language, standard library and interpreter to any who wish to use it free of charge. By the way, downloaded over 300 million times a day, which is, I had no idea it was that much. That's insane. We host the Python, uh, we host PyPI, right? And nobody pays us to do this, none of that, but um, that's the, the way the law is state, stated, it's a problem. Let's see if I can find um, the actual, yeah, so here we go. We believe there are two phrases in the CRA that cast too wide of a net. In Article 16, a, na a natural or legal person, other than the manufacturer, the importer or distributor that carries out substantial modifications. So I guess a typo is not it. Substantial modifications of a product with digital elements shall be considered a manufacturer for the purpose of this regulation and hence held responsible. Secondly, by providing software platform through which the manufacturer monetizes other services is not specific enough, right? They, for example, they say, well, what if you have uh, you create an open source thing, you don't charge for it, but maybe you have classes on it or other types of things, right? Then in a sense, in the indirect sense, you're making money and modifying the software. So I don't yeah. know. there's just, it's, it's a little bit, I don't know. It feels to me, especially this, this line above where they talk about like it, it was, we believe you should um, distinguish between unpaid and independent open source contributors and um, corporate tech behemoths selling products. To me, the GDPR felt very much like we're going after Fang. We're going after Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, these big companies that are just harvesting our data, reselling. I'm clearly, obviously not them, but it was you know targeted very much at these large organizations, but had consequences for everybody. This seems a little bit similar, right? Not exactly the same, but like, look at these huge tech companies, they're making billions, they're the most valuable companies in the world and just, they're unleashing viruses on people and they should take, there should be some accountability. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't really seem to have taken into account like, oh, it could also be an extinction level event for open source in Europe, which sounds bad. Yeah, I well, I mean, and I don't know where they were coming from, but I kind of, I mean, I kind of get the idea of like, let's say for instance, uh, the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, where uh, these companies are are like providing, they're just hosting s stuff written by other people, but they're taking a thirty percent cut yeah. or more. So it's, I think it's reasonable for customers to expect that the stuff they get is not horrible, <laughs> a virus yeah. or stealing yeah. stuff or whatever, or unintentional stealing at least. Right, um, but. The that doesn't. I mean, it seems like this. Two, the two models are the same, but they're not. We're not. The PSF isn't taking it there. Well, they are taking a thirty percent cut of free. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think another area where they probably had this in mind is like hardware vendors that have a software component that just let them turn into garbage immediately. Like I've got this 
streaming video camera that'll tell me if something's happening on my house and within two weeks it has a vulnerability there's no updates ever or i get a router and after a year it's no longer supported and it gets hacked and take over you know those, those kinds of things totally reasonable yeah. holding every open source contributor who touches software liable yeah. seems stupid it, yeah. it, like genuinely i don't understand what don't the equals, get it. What, yeah what i don't try and get it do. yeah so all right that <laughs> well anyway not the best news but i think it's important to let people know right like yeah um at the bottom there is a call to action that says PSF members and Python users in Europe may wish to write to their MEP voicing their concerns about their proposed CRA law before April 26th, while amendments that will protect the public open source repositories are still being considered. So take action, folks. Um, can't really write to them because I don't have a representative in Europe, but I, I hope people do. What's an MEP? Is that I don't know. Really I have no idea. Yeah, I'm sure it's like a but, congressman type of thing. And the the... The link uh, that we're going to provide in the show notes does have a link at the bottom of the article has a has a link to the write your MAP. So, yep, yep. write your MEP. Cool. All right, members of European Parliament is that acronym we're looking for? <sighs> okay. Yeah. What is not trying to wipe out the open source community is our sponsor. In fact, quite the opposite. So, this episode is of Python Bytes is brought to you by Influx Data, the makers of Influx DB. Influx DB is a database purpose-built for handling time series data at a massive scale for real-time analytics. And developers can ingest, store, and analyze all types of time series data, metrics, events, traces in a single platform. So, dear listener, let me ask you a question. How would boundless cardinality and lightning-fast SQL queries impact the way that you develop real-time apps? InfluxDB processes large time series data sets and provides low-latency SQL queries of not the kind with the plus name, just time series, making it a go-to choice for developers building real-time applications and seeking crucial insights. For developer efficiency, it helps you create IoT, analytics, and cloud applications using timestamp data rapidly and at scale. InfluxDB is designed to ingest millions of data points in real time with unlimited cardinality. InfluxDB streamlines building once and deploying across various products and environments from the edge on-premise, and to the cloud. So try it for free at pythonbytes.fm slash influxdb. The link is in your podcast show notes. Thank you to Influx Data for supporting the show and keeping our podcast going strong. Yeah, thank you. All right, over to you, Brian. Well, I want to create a little chaos. <laughs> Maybe. Little <laughs> arms? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, chaos engineering. around here, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's all the rage with all the Netflix kids. But um, so chaos engineering uh, is is a is a um, you know style of uh, taking down parts of your system uh, or injecting uh, issues into your system um, just to to make sure that your system is resilient. There's a lot of experiment. There's a there's a lot of uh, books on it, um, articles on it. But how do you like? How do you do it? Uh, what kind of tools do you use? And one of the tools is the Chaos Toolkit um, that we're highlighting now. This is uh, was suggested by the maintainer Sylvain, and I'm not going to attempt your last name, Sylvain. But thank you for uh, suggesting this. Um, it's an open source project uh, that is that works with Python. Um, I don't know what it's written in, but it's uh, I think it's Python, but I don't know. So the the idea is you can run uh, experiments against your system 
And you can write those experiments in JSON or YAML files. And uh, so you can orchestrate and collaborate with people. And uh, you can orchestrate through the code. So that's nice. Um, it's extensible. You can build on it. Uh, you can. It's It's got an open, open API that you can... Uh, you can extend it. Um, you can automate it through CI pipelines. Uh, and like I said, it's all open source. Um, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff you can do with it. Uh, the, I'm, I'm just touching the surface, but one of the examples in the documentation, which I can't find right now, but uh, I was reading the other, there's installation tutorials and references. But one of the ideas was uh, that I'm like, you should totally, I didn't ever consider this, is do an experiment where you uh, have your system running and then you um, artificially uh, make an SSL certificate expire. Um, how does your system deal with that? Um, and I think that's an awesome thing to highlight because we've all been there. We're like a system that we're a, a third-party project that we're using or our own, we think it's fine. And um, and then the SSL certificate expires, and the whole thing just doesn't work for, and you lose all your customers until you fix that. So. Um, testing for that is great, but there's lots of other things too, like taking down, taking out a database or a region or whatever. So yeah. And how do you unit test for that kind of stuff? Right? Like how do you unit test that the SSL certificates no longer valid? And then it is again, like that kind of stuff, that infrastructure level stuff is really hard and chaos engineering, I think largely originated around how do we break the cloud? So that, yeah. and then what happens to our app? Not how does our app break, but if the infrastructure pieces that our app expects to be there, if those start to go down in weird ways, like how do you survive that, right? That's kind of net, I think that came out of Netflix, but maybe yeah. they weren't the original, original. It certainly was popularized out of Netflix. Yeah, so some really cool stuff. Uh, and, it, uh, and it's at your fingertips with just like a pip install, I think, so. Excellent. Nice. Yes, it is 98% Python, 1% Dockerfile, and 1% Makefile. So pure Python. Yeah. 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 So cool stuff. Um, and lots of examples. And they uh, there's already examples there. And that's one of the ways they they like people to help out is whether or not you extend the tool, extending examples for how to use it to to um to test part of your system. I think that's pretty neat. And we've got, and one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight it, this is uh, a lot of chaos engineering is, is around large corporations like places like Netflix or big services. But there's little guys like uh, Michael Kennedy that's running uh, Talk Python training and a couple of podcasts. And we would all be sad if something happened. And yes. he can't he can't hire reams of people to uh, to test all this stuff. So um, having these tools available for um for everybody and yeah these things these tools can be used for companies too but uh it's it's nice to have things like this around for people like you and me yeah absolutely thanks i i do also see it as kind of one of these things that brings like some of the tools and techniques from really large organizations that have a team that could build up custom tools like netflix to do this kind of stuff you know kind of like docker and kubernetes gives you crazy infrastructure devops abilities that used to just live at google and places like that right so it's yeah. a little bit like that for breaking things in your in your cloud and your infrastructure yeah and i i definitely want to get um i think this is a perfect topic to go deep in on uh on test and code so i'm going to try to get sylvain on the on the show to talk about it we can jump in deeply so yeah cool. that sounds great i definitely look forward to it well, what you got for us next? I got a pep. Now, to be clear, this pep is in draft standard, and it is 12 days old. So it is not super old, 
but it is Pep 7-Eleven. This is the tie back to what you started with, Brian, uh, sort of a little bit of packaging and managing and deploying Python things like libraries and stuff called PyBI, a standard format for distributing Python binaries. So what that really is by Nathaniel Smith, and I'm actually going to have Nathaniel on Talk Python in one and a half hours. So if you're watching the live version of this and you care about this, you can drop in on that live stream about an hour after this show ends. But if not, uh, if you're just listening, then you know check out Talk Python if you want to dive into this for the about the same time frame. Anyway, the idea is so many of the tools that we work with, including Walk, I imagine, assume that Python is installed. And now how do we manage dependencies? How do we manage environments? How do we isolate environments, right? How do we update the dependencies of a given isolated environment? This is steps back a little bit and says, what if you don't have Python? What if you have the wrong version of Python? How do we get that to you? What if you could pip install Python 3.11? Oh, wait, no, pip install Python 3.12 and just express your runtime as a binary uh, dependency, not download it, compile source like PyMV does, and then takes forever. Hope that your system is set up right. Um, but how do you... How do you get Python on your system in a way that is kind of like Python wheels? So have a bunch of pre-built binary versions of Python on PyPI. So you literally install it over that. That's the proposal, right? That's the idea. So the abstract is short and sweet. It says like wheels, but for pre-built Python, instead of a pre-built Python package, it's a pre-built Python interpreter. Mm. Okay. So that is pretty interesting. So the end goal. I want this. <laughs> I, I want it too. And uh, I'll bring up a discuss thread here in just a second. End goal, pypi.org has pre-built packages for all Python versions of on all popular platforms. So automated tools can easily grab them and set them up, right? Hmm. So wouldn't it be cool if we could just do that for the Python runtime itself? That would also mean, I imagine, um, that you wouldn't have to be an administrator or have access to run sudo on your system. Well, uh, I right? hope, but maybe. Because you can you can pip install dash dash user, right? Oh, yeah. so, so you could just do that to like a local location because you get this isolated little binary. And Jeremy Page out there points out that PyBI exists now. It can be installed with the POSI tool. So yes, indeed. Jumping over to the announcement, PyBI and POSI by Nathaniel Smith. So this is a, I would, looking in from the outside, I would say this is probably a, proof of concept level version of this. Okay. But really, you know, for the, the PEP to be accepted and for people really to leverage it, I would imagine, you know, you, you probably need Python, like the full buy-in of the Python folks themselves, right? The core developers and, and yeah. so on, right? But anyway, so much like Walk, POSI, P-O-S-Y, POSI, POSI, I don't know. That tool would allow you to run CLI commands that initialize your system with the right version not not so much your system but a a particular localized kind of like virtual environment even though it doesn't use virtual environment but give you one of these right so it's riffing on kushal's pep 52582 which is um, the dunder pi packages folder instead of having virtual environments there could just be kind of like a node packages equivalent which i'm i still would like to see that that would be nice so he said, whoops, come back here. He said, got me thinking historically, tools that have started with the assumption that you already have Python, now you want a management, means every tool needs to be prepared to cope with every possible way of installing and managing Python. 
And the beginner workflows, beginner-friendly workflows, has to be the part of the interpreter, right? So you got to install the interpreter, make sure you have the right version of Python, and then you can start using, like, let's say, Hatch or Poetry or yeah. Pip Tools or whatever, right? And if your tester wants to use Tox Nox, then you're on your own figuring out how to get all those interpreters installed. If you use PyNV, that compiles it from source, so that's got to work on your system. That's slow, right? But what if we went the other way around and just uploaded CPython to PyPI so you could pip install Python? Because technically, pip won't work because that's part of Python, right? So that's what this POSI thing is. It lets you basically say, I want this version of Python. And you could also build out projects. So you can say, I'm going to use um, various packages and I want this version of Python. And it will bundle up a thing that when you install it has the right version of Python and the right packages. So it's kind of a step in a pretty interesting direction, I would say. If you scroll down, 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 there are 71 replies in this this announcement thread. But Paul Moore, one of the core developers on PIP, says, this is beyond awesome. I hadn't realized you were actively working on this. That's pretty good. Frederick says, really nice to see this. The direction of the path per package is really the right direction. Um, the fact that it requires Rust, the way it is now, it, it requires having Rust installed, which is kind of just like kicking the having Python installed to a different corner. You know, like, oh, you don't have to have Python installed around this. You just have to have the Rust compiler installed. You're like, no, why? <laughs> I, I'm sure that you could compile a binary that it, for a platform and hand it out and say, here's the one for Mac OS. As long as you have this tool on your system, you can run it. You don't need the the runtime tools, right? You could distribute that and let it kind of bootstrap your system, right? I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I got lost with the Posey thing. So I'll have to try to read up on this and try to understand what's going on. Um, but it, it, I get that. I guess I, I don't get it. Are we, are we not going to have Pip? We're going to have Posey instead, or is this just a? Uh, we don't know. Yet. I, I need to talk to Nathaniel more about this. Okay. But it, it from what reading this announcement and reading the things. It, the way to think of it is kind of like Docker, okay? So with okay. Docker, you don't create a Docker image and then run it as a container and then decide, oh, I want to make changes. So you don't like log into the container and make changes. You just shut it down, restart it, rebuild the, the image with okay. new settings, and then you rerun the container. They're okay. a kind of um, yeah, real, so right? Yeah, but this is so the early phases of trying to figure out the workflows of all this and everything. So that's good. right. So what you would do here, from what I've read, is you would say, "I have, I want this version of Python and these dependencies, and it has a lock file and everything." You can sort of see down here in this section. It creates a pyproject.toml that uh, describes the environment and some aliases to run it, similar as Hatch hmm. environments, and then you run it. Right, and if there's some kind of change instead of trying to actually change the environment. So there's no virtual environment, for example. There's just, here's the thing you run. You want to upgrade a request, say it's in there. You want to upgrade requests. You just create a new one of these, a new build of this that has the updated dependency expressed in it, and then you run that again, hmm. right? Okay. So you rebuild the environment rather than edit it, right? So what what role, is that going back to your question, what role does PIP have in that? Probably less, I'm not entirely sure, but um, oh. maybe Pip is involved in the building, but not in the distributing. You know what I mean? To, to like build up yeah. the environment that you would get might um, might involve Pip. But anyway, it's pretty interesting. There's a bunch of comments here that people can can check out below, and 
it's not universally, absolutely. Everyone's like, yes, do this now. But it's, most of them are like, this certainly blew my mind. Count me in on how how we could explore to do this. And um, Pamphil also points out, like this is somewhat related to Conda, right? So Conda is another way that people get different versions of Python and bring along the dependencies. And so there's some, some talk in here about how this might work together uh, maybe to be something that Conda could use or how, the, how those two projects might work together. So anyway, it is a PEP. 711 and there is this i'm going to call it proof of concept maybe I'm, I'm not categorizing that right but this proof of concept with the posy tool to make this happen i just realized it was 711 so there needs to be like a slurpy logo for this um <laughs> yeah i don't think peps generally have logos but yeah i certainly <laughs> sure yeah. i think we might just have some image art for our, our episode <laughs> Uh, All right. Anyway, yeah. uh, nice, nice work, Nathaniel. Uh, talk to you soon about this, but it looks interesting. Oh, I'm looking forward to listening to that episode. Nice, nice. Yeah, cool. All right, is that it for all of our items? I believe it is. It is. Got any extras? For ex- uh, extras. I just want to let people know to uh, that um, we're going to both be. The plan is uh, both of us in a couple of days are going to be heading off to PyCon, um, and uh, and so hopefully people will see us. I think on. I think the plan is for Saturday that. There's going to be a, a ask me anything thing at the PyCharm booth. Um, and then uh, following that, uh, I th- the current plan, the things are, things may change, but the current plan is that'll be sat- sometime Saturday. And then also uh, I'm going to be giving away some books. So there's going to be some uh, PyTest Py books giving away and, and I'll be signing some. So if you happen to be, also if you've got one of the old copies or new copies or whatever, it doesn't matter. If you want to bring your own for me to sign, go for it. Um, I don't know why people want me to write in their book, but sure, um, I'll do it. So also gotten some new stickers. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to giving those out. So uh, excellent. Yeah, I don't I don't have like I'm not speaking, but if you see me, uh, I'll it's fine to interrupt whatever I'm doing and ask for some stickers. So and we will be doing some form of live Python bites from there, which will not be at the standard time because it's over it's not on tuesday not on tuesday <laughs> it does not intersect any known tuesday so yeah, yeah so we're going to be doing that absolutely i'll probably do some other podcast recording i'll be going around i'm also doing ask me anything giving away some courses so yeah should be a lot of fun and yeah, yeah. do that at the JetBrains booth and all other live events as well so come find us and try to we'll try to live stream assuming that the internet is good enough there we'll try to live stream the, our recording yeah. there's so the people who are not at the conference can still check that out well is it joke time yes it is joke time it is definitely joke time so or do you have some extras i don't a yeah, good question i don't have any extras uh, okay. i have almost have an extra but i'm not ready uh that'll be in the next next one so okay good stuff um so this one has to do with interns here and maybe try to describe what you're seeing here in this picture brian <laughs> So there's, there's, first off, you see like uh, somebody from like their balcony or something looking over at somebody else's balcony and somebody throws like some water or something out of their window. And then you pan over and there's like a, like a forest fire going. A raging canyon fire in somewhere like California or somewhere like that, right? Yeah. (laughs) So there's, it clearly requires at least a fire truck, if not one of those airplanes that come by and drops water. So there's the, the water is just, you know, like a mixing bowl worth of water. And the title is Intern Helping Senior Devs Fix a Severe Bug in Production. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's and also the 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 other title is the, it's the effort that counts. So <laughs> And this is good, and it is funny, it'll make you laugh, but there are 43 really good comments. <laughs> so there's different things. It says, okay, so someone comments, when I was an intern, I get paged during the night as an escalation when the senior engineers couldn't fix production because they didn't know how. Yeah, it was a crappy company. <laughs> and then someone replies, plan A, check if someone supplied a solution on Stack Overflow. Plan B, it was the intern. Place the blame there. <laughs> <laughs> I like, but it's not water, it's gasoline. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not water, it's gasoline. That is actually really, really good. I love it so much. So another one, follow up to that, is actually the intern knows way too much about the problem, probably involved in causing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's the joke is funny. The, in, the, the conversations throughout the comments here on Reddit, are they're fantastic. So I encourage you to go check out that joke. Yeah, funny. Nice. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks to everyone. Thank you. Who participated in the live stream and uh, just sh for showing up and listening. We really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Yep. See y'all. Bye.